Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. One more hour to go. Talking about the Carolina Panthers. Brian Burns got a contract offer from Carolina. DeAndre Hopkins did not. And instead of playing with Carolina and Bryce Young, he will be playing for the Tennessee Titans as they are expected to sign DeAndre Hopkins and they are expected to sign him on a two-year deal that could be worth up to $15 million in just that first season. He'll, uh, it does look like the deal would give him a base salary of $12 million in the first year. It could reach $15 million with incentives. And so here you have a top wide receiver off of the board now. Wes, I know you are always a fan of the idea of the Carolina Panthers going after DeAndre Hopkins. You see some of the figures come in. Mm -hmm. You see Tennessee. They go get him. Now he's going to be paired up with your boy Derrick Henry, one of the better running backs in the NFL. You might say the best running back in the NFL. (laughs) What do you make of Carolina deciding not to go after DeAndre Hopkins to the point where he signs with Tennessee on this two-year contract? Well, I just think it was a a deal of we heard different reports come out that he wasn't quite the receiver that he thinks that he still is. And when you look at the offers that were out there, the Titans offered him the most money. I mean, a base salary of $12 million for next year could reach up to 15 with incentives, and nobody else was really offering him that. So I think that the Panthers just looked at the situation, a guy that's an aging receiver, and just said, hey, you know, we're not going to put our name in the hat and give him that much money. And I think it feels that maybe they're pretty comfortable with where they are. Plus, we've heard a lot of the things about the attitude there. And DeAndre does strike me as the type of guy that if the football's not coming his way, he's not going to be very thrilled about it. And I think for the development of a young quarterback, you know, I think all in all, I think it was best that they probably didn't go after him. I think that he would have helped, and I don't think that Bryce Young is the type of quarterback that can be heavily influenced, but still a guy just being in your ear, telling you to get him the ball, and and things of that nature. I think that the the Panthers, at the end of the day, felt like they could probably uh, do without, but uh, the Seattle Seahawks used to have this distinction, but I've seen it online as well, and I would agree with it. The Tennessee Titans, that is a place where uh, receivers go to die. I mean, they draft receivers and they don't do much. They sign free agent receivers. They don't do much. So I don't expect much out of DeAndre Hopkins uh, in a conservative offense like the Titans. Well, yeah, I mean, when did, did this change for you at all with DeAndre, like trying to figure out if Carolina should go after him. I mean, I thought they should have as far as just having another playmaker. I'm just trying to walk through some of the things that they might have been thinking as to why they didn't do it. I don't think Bryce Young would really be affected by a a guy like that that could be considered a diva at times. But as far as just having that caliber weapon on your team that could maybe put you over the top if he's close to what he's been uh, in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, sure, you can never have enough weapons. But I'm just trying to walk through some of the reasons why they might not have done it yeah if you go after deandre you're showing you're all in for it i mean giving him what could be worth up to 15 million dollars in the first year and so it seems like the price tag was just a little too rich what i'm interested in too is man deandre gave you a list of qbs that he wanted to work with he also talked to you about not wanting to really work with a rookie qb anymore that those days were behind him then he goes to tennessee where we don't know if Ryan Tannehill is going to start every single game this season because they have two QBs that they invested in over the last couple of years. Reports are that they're going to move on from Malik Willis. 
So now Will Levis could be that guy. Wes, he seems like the guy that is going to start the least amount of games considering the top four QBs that were selected. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, even Anthony Richardson, who is somewhat of a raw prospect still coming out. Will Levis is the one I would rank number four on that list, and he was drafted as such. So this had to be one of those situations where DeAndre was looking for more money out there. He wanted to pick his team. Didn't seem like there was as much interest. And then he decided to take what leftover money there was on still a pretty good contract, despite it only being two years with Tennessee, where that guy is not one of the best QBs in the NFL. And you might have to play with a rookie QB again and the worst of the four. So I don't think this went the way that DeAndre Hopkins wanted it to go outside of him finally settling on what is, I think, a pretty decent deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a great deal for him. And the dollar is always going to rule unless it's just, like I said, equal dollar amounts at a, a place that maybe he felt like he could go that he could maybe compete because I saw that Buffalo was saying that if he wanted to ring chase, he could come there and things of that nature. But I just think at the end of the day, he tried to hold out, drive up his market to see what he could get. It didn't turn out the way he wanted it to. And he just took the best deal. I know New England was also reportedly interested, but apparently Bill Belichick did not want to give him all that much money either. And so eventually Tennessee is the team that ends up signing him. We do know about one signing this offseason where DeAndre Hopkins could be a Hall Hall of Fame wide receiver, has had a lot of production. That might be an interesting conversation down the line, but I'm not here to have that conversation right now. I'm here to have the conversation about Miles Sanders saying on Mac and Bone that Andy Dalton was a Hall of Fame quarterback. And boy, he kind of put it in there to a longer point that he was making. But we have that soundbite. Let's play it right now. Miles Sanders interview with Mac and Bowen talking about Andy Dalton. I have a good feeling about these guys. uh, uh, These guys work. And that's the main thing I'm noticing in OTAs. Uh, We got a very, very good young quarterback that's being mentored by a very, very, very good quarterback, future Hall of Famer, Andy Dalton. They have a lot of respect for it. That's one. I wonder if Mac and Bone heard it. Fiddy, do you have any more understanding or context? Did Mac and Bone hear that and just not address it? Or was this actually picked up? I believe, what was it, Mike Florio put this out there or something like that? I believe I believe Will Kunkel okay, was, he was the, the first, first person to kind of be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we got a Hall of Fame backup quarterback <laughs> here in Charlotte. You said he was a 99-grade BSer on Madden. Is this the comment that puts him over the top? Yeah, man. No doubt about it. I mean, he's just saying stuff that just just trying to just ingratiate himself however he can. This is the same guy that said Carolina's offensive line was just as good as the Eagles offensive line that he had just come from that we know was super dominant. So this is a guy that, you know, you guys have to kind of watch what he says, man, because he'll kind of feed you. He's a bit of a politician, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah. This brings up the point to me. Remember how Adam Schefter, he was the driving force behind this. How Julian Edelman should be considered for the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver. Meanwhile, guys like Torrey Holt can't get in. Steve Smith still can't get in. Reggie Wayne has to wait a while. Andre Johnson. And yet Adam Schefter was still driving this kind of narrative that Edelman should be considered for the Hall of Fame when he's had three regular seasons over a thousand yards. Andy Dalton reaching the Hall of Fame is the most ridiculous case that I've ever heard. Now, Miles, look, man, go ahead and gas up your teammates. I'm cool with it. You can call them that if you want. But if Andy Dalton gets in the Hall of Fame, what is the new line? Like now we're talking about Kirk Cousins after people are falling in love with him with this QB documentary that's (laughs) releasing. Now we're talking about Kirk Cousins possibly being a, a Hall of Fame QB because at least he does have a playoff win. 
he actually has a moment against the Saints where we all know Andy Dalton all those years with Cincinnati never was able to win not one playoff game. And Kirk Cousins has had regular season success, too. So, like, we're going to open up the door for Andy Dalton. It's going to be 15 quarterbacks a year. You are That have a case. For sure. That, it, it can't happen. But I, do you like Miles Sanders gassing these guys up, or is it a little too no, ridiculous? No, that's, that's, that's too much. <laughs> Even as a teammate, you're just looking at him like, really? Come on, dog. <laughs> well, this is the case, too. People will write in, what is he supposed to say? They suck, or they're okay? No, but he can that's say a he's a great road. backup quarterback. Right. You don't right. have to say he's a Hall of Famer. Right. There are There's levels to where, you know, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to call Mingo a Hall of Fame wide receiver now? After, right. You know, before he even plays a snap? There are levels to which you can praise some guys. And Andy Dalton right now, he is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. But I do, it, it's, it's funny to hear Miles Sanders say some of this stuff. Now, all right, maybe Andy Dalton's not a Hall of Fame QB. How much do you think he will be able to help Bryce Young this year, though, Wes? Do you still think that this is a beneficial signing to the rookie QB you drafted number one overall? Uh, No doubt. I mean, he's been there. He's seen it all. He's played a lot of seasons. He's played a lot of football. So that's no doubt going to help uh, Bryce Young. When you talk about a guy that can help him maybe with some coverages or some things that uh, he may not be privy to that can help him to more of the aspects of, of being a professional quarterback coming in as a guy that people are looking to to lead a franchise. So, yeah, there's also uh, there's always a lot of advice that he can offer to Bryce, even though we've seen him come in and he's pretty much a ready-made professional quarterback right now when you talk about the studying habits and uh, the type of time that Bryce Young is on. But it never hurts to have a veteran behind him just to fill in the gap. So I think that's for sure. Uh, what Andy Dalton will do. I think he's the perfect backup QB to bring in here because you're not going to get any controversy. No one thinks that Andy Dalton should be starting over Bryce Young. We're not having that conversation as soon as we get to OTAs and rookie minicamp. Frank Reich talked about how Bryce Young has surpassed Andy Dalton as QB1 immediately. So we don't have to have all of this unwarranted drama because if you sign a QB that's a little too good then you might want to call for that QB to start over your number one overall pick. But that's not going to happen here. He's a veteran. Andy Dalton knows what it is. He's already been a backup QB in other instances before. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Andy Dalton is trying to be the starting QB for this team. Sure, he'll be competing. I'm not trying to say that. He'll take the starting job if it comes to him. But he knows his role. That's why I think he's perfect for Bryce. So I think it's a great marriage in that locker room. Great quarterback room. Coaching staff has already been, you know, we've already sung the praises there as well. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen, even with Andy Dalton as a backup QB and not a Hall of Fame one at that. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, too, going back to the Madden conversation, uh, yeah, did read the wide receiver things wrong. Those ratings were for certain areas, aspects of their game. But the top 10, you were correct. Justin Jefferson is in the 99 club, followed by Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and Cooper Cup. Uh, and DeAndre Hopkins has a 93, so he's the seventh highest rated uh, Madden receiver. So the Panthers could have had a uh, 93 yeah. at wide receiver. Is that with or without the horse tranquilizer? <laughs> I thought Jamar Chase was too low, though, man. He's six at a 94. I thought Jamar Chase should be 97 or higher. Dude. Yeah, that feels a little low. Yeah, yeah that feels low. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, correct that. 93, and then uh, we could have had a 93 and 83, and then that would have been a lot harder to try to get some of those guys um, on this roster. What's interesting, though, too, if you're going to you know, go this route, I saw LaVisca rate at a 75 above Terrace Marshall Jr. Yeah. I've also seen some LaVisca conversation here and there. 
um, I believe our buddy Josh Graham, who we had on last week to talk about ECU, he had LaVisca as one of the more intriguing storylines coming into training camp. I wonder if he's going to have the most wide range, wide ranging uh, opinions coming in about him because LaVisca was a second round pick. Jacksonville gave up on him, traded him for, I forget what that trade even was, but LaVisca comes in and they use him the exact same way every single game, very physical wide receiver, catching it in the flats, but you're not really sending him on routes 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. It's all catch the football and let's see what you can do once the football is in your hands. But Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, they're going to be ahead of him on the depth chart. Hayden Hurst is going to be ahead of him as far as targets, in my opinion. And so that brings in Terrace Marshall Jr., where some people think he's going to be a breakout guy. What is LaVisca's role coming in? It I don't because I kind of view him as the last receiver on the team where Shai Smith is going to get cut. But that even still doesn't mean that he's 100 percent safe. Right. Like mm-hmm. Shai Smith was still somebody involved in the offense last year. I, I think maybe people are a little too high on LaVisca. And I like what he did. I wonder if you can use him more. But with all the receivers that you brought in, some of the weapons, I, I just Wonder if people are a little too high on what he can do next season. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's perplexing to me is how did it get to this point with Chanel? This was a guy in 2018 in Colorado had 86 catches for 1,000 yards and six touchdowns, 1,011 to be exact, and have 56 for 764 in 2019. And then it's to the point that he's relegated to just a gadget guy. And I know some people like to talk about the routes and things of that nature. Had a nice offensive grade from PFF last season at an 85. I just wonder how it gets like that from a guy that caught so many passes in college that now comes into the league and is looked at as a reverse and a pop pass uh, receiver. So uh, I think, though, with Chanel, you like what he brought because he certainly brought a mentality of toughness to Carolina's receiver room. And especially during games, he had some set-the-tone type of plays that he will have. I think his role with the Panthers, I think it's just like what Frank Reich said. I think they want to use him like Debo Samuels in San Francisco to give teams that change of pace, to give teams that root, that wrinkle, something to look for him coming around on a jet sweep, or maybe you fake it to him and then somebody else gets open. But I think they are going to have a role for him just as that kind of multifaceted guy in that offense. It just perplexes me as to why he doesn't get the license to be able to actually play wide receiver. And no dog in 704. We have 704 number right in, man. The boys are dogging our Panthers today. No, I just don't think LaVisca is going to have as much production as some of these other wide receivers on the roster. 919 did write in. Chenault is underrated. He's a good wide receiver, and I expect him to have a breakout season. I think that's going to be tough. I think it's going to be real tough for him to have a breakout year. I, I, I do wonder if Frank Reich's creativity is going to help him out a little more. So breakout seems too strong, but maybe a more improved role. And maybe you just – what I'm interested in is the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I, I just – don't know if there's going to be this clear distinction between one and two, between two and three, between three and four. I think it's going to get really hard to try to figure out that distinction. And we're going to see some very similar numbers all across the board where clearly the number one receiver is going to have a lot more than five. But I think the lines are going to be pretty gray going all the way down the hierarchy, if you could even call it that. That's what's going to be interesting to me. I think the thing about LaVisca, though, in his game is that helps him on this roster is the fact that he's really the only guy that is going going to be assigned this type of role and the only guy you want to say the only guy and that's what I was going to say I was going to say that you look at it on the surface and say this is the only guy that can do that but I wonder if they want to do some of those things with Mingo and if they do 
and are effective with doing it with Mingo, then that definitely eliminates LaVisca from contention because then, you know, his roles will be taken. Well, and plus you have the second round pick with Mingo here too. The investment's higher. I know you traded for LaVisca, but we saw what he did last year. Yeah. Mingo, you certainly have a lot more hope that he can be a very good player for you in the future. Let's talk a little bit more college football, getting you ready for ACC media days next week. We have some other stuff we haven't gotten to yet that we'll try to in the last two segments. It's all still to come on Wesson Walker sports radio, 92.7 WFNZ. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit up that text line, 704-570-9610. Hit that follow button on those socials, the Wesson Walker page on Twitter. Also, Wes Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. I haven't used the threads since I sent out my initial tweet at Walker Mail on all three platforms, Twitter, Instagram, threads, and Josh Fitty Marlowe at HTV underscore Josh on the same platforms. Have you guys used your threads like that any? Because I sure haven't. God bless you for anybody still following me on that account because I put one up there just to be ready. And I've figured there was a high probability that this kind of thing would happen. But no, I have not <laughs> given you one post yet. I, I think I have like 20 followers. That's about it. I mean, can we at least get a profile picture today? Yeah, I have a I have a profile picture. Is it because when I uh, on threads I have you, one. Yeah. Oh, when I tagged you on the Instagram post, there's still nothing well, there. Well, well, Instagram I don't, but on yeah. threads I do. Okay. Mm. Yeah. No, I checked my threads. I think I checked it yesterday for the first time. This is how you know the app's already dead. Wes called it a tweet on threads. It's it's not a tweet. I did. It's a post. Yeah. You, it's, a, it's a post or a thread. They should just call it an Insta tweet. That's what I think they should call it. I don't know if you well, can I don't take know if they can, yeah. yeah, I don't think you or can. Or Insta Post. <laughs> or Insta Post. That sounds like too much of an Insta Pot so, or whatever. You know, look, you got to credit them. They were ready for the downfall of Twitter. Mm hmm. But, I mean, Elon Musk said not today. Yeah. So, so you know, it, there's going to come another point in time in history where Twitter's going to nearly die. We'll migrate to threads for oh, like. Oh, it's happened so many times already. Like 24 hours. And we'll uh -huh. be like, you know what? This app sucks. We're going back to Twitter. Uh, I just got a text, by the way, from 704. I don't know if it's true or not, okay. but they just said, I paid $2,400 per ticket for two tickets to go see Drake when he comes to Charlotte. Well, either rich or stupid. All right, one of the two. One of the two. 2400 Hey, God bless you, though. Go have a great time. <laughs> I hope I hope you're going to be on stage. Like I hope to see you performing with Drake if you're you pay that line. much. That better be a part of the package. Five bands, man? On Drake? Yeah. Go ahead. I really hope you're out there on stage with Drake if you paid that much. Or he gives you a shout out or something. Yeah, man. something like something that. You get something done. You get a picture. You get to go practice at his basketball facility like Kentucky <laughs> yeah. did last week. That's I, right. I need something. That's, that's right. All right. So, talking season has begun. The SEC media days are going on this week. The ACC has their media days next week. We will all be there working and doing what we need to do. But uh, let's start talking about some of these coaches and who are the best. And ACC uh, this season, obviously, they have a lot of great coaches. And CBS and 24-7 Sports, they've gotten together and ranked every single Power 5 coach ahead of the season. And so when you start to break it down to ACC, your top five is Clemson. Dabo Swinney, of course, he's number three overall, number one on the ACC list. 
Dave Clawson from Wake Forest comes in at number two, and he's 15th overall in the grand scheme of things. Florida State's Mike Norvell is number three, and he is number 19 overall. Mac Brown from North Carolina is fourth and 22nd overall. Dave Dorn from NC State, he is fifth and 25th overall. So that's your top five. And then when you go down the list to get some other coaches of note, as my internet just went down and then it's back up. But Mario Cristobal was eighth at 39th overall. Mike Elko was ninth at 44th overall. So, Walker, what do you make of those ratings? Are they on point? Who's too high? Who's too low, in your opinion? Well, let's talk about the top two and, and really just number two. Dave Clawson is in the right spot. Yes. I have no problem with Dave Clawson coming over, especially considering what Wake Forest is as a football program. Wes, I think even with you playing offensive lineman there, you understand that if they are, if Dave Clawson is having more success than Florida State ever since his tenure, then you can understand just how great of a job that he's done. And Mike Norvell being third on this list, that's actually salvaging what was left behind when Jimbo Fisher left Florida State and went to Texas A&M. So I have no r- real problem here with Norvell. Norvell at number three. I mean, he has to pick up on what he's done uh, this past season. And if he does it again, then I think he'll justify it. I'm just glad Dave Clawson is getting the right ranking here because the fact that you go to a bowl game every single season, you have the one of the more coveted QB transfers out there and Sam Hartman. Notre Dame is going after a guy like uh, Sam Hartman and after the success that he had with Wake Forest. You're turning out a whole bunch of players that are getting to the NFL. I really like what Dave Clawson has done. I have no problem with him being the second best coach in the ACC. Yeah, I think that uh, when you look at this, when you look at this list, I do like where Coach Clawson is, no doubt about it. And when you look at uh, the right up there, he's got 59 wins in nine seasons, and also he has a pace of 8.5 victories per year over the last four seasons. The recruiting, this is not a guy that's racking up uh, top flight recruits every year. And so to take a school like Wake Forest to where you are uh, labeled as the second best coach in the league, and he's stuck. You know, he's not a guy that's looking for greener pastures because every season I'm sure that he's inundated with um, teams and, and, and schools looking for him to come lead their program, especially after what he's done. And that was his M.O. coming into Wake. He was in the MAC previously, and he had a reputation for building uh, programs. Mike Novell at three, I think that's a, that's a strong grade for him, but I also think that he deserves to be there because, frankly, like I said, the, the, the conference has a lot of great coaches. But when you look at where he's got FSU headed, especially winning 10 games, uh, last season. He's got to come out and prove it this year as far as can Florida State get quote-unquote back to where they once were as one of the nation's powerhouses. Um, I would probably put and I think Max there because of the fact that He's got the national championship, but also he's taken North Carolina uh, to an ACC championship. So I was about to almost put uh, Dave Dorn over him, but I would go with Mac Brown at four. I'm good with that. Dave Dorn at five. Now, that's the thing. I would – that's tough. I, I might put Pat Narduzzi up in there too, man, because he's won an ACC championship since he's been there at Pitt. Uh, you know, Pitt, especially in a state with Penn State, not the easiest school to acquire talent, even though Pitt does have a great pedigree. So I would probably put 
uh, Pat Narduzzi into that top five, maybe slide Dave Dorn down uh, one slide. I know Jeff Brom is starting to get a, a lot of gas as far as being a really good coach. We talked about in the head coach rankings, we discussed uh, maybe a week or so ago that he was 10th overall. And then Mike Elko at ninth, he's just got to continue to earn, earn his keep. If he has another great season with Duke this year, I think he would definitely uh, shoot up the charts. So, uh, I, I pretty much like this list a lot. And so when you start to look at the guys who support these men and the staffs and you want to look at who's got the best staffs in place, well, we got a little bit of help with that as well. As far as 247, they have a preseason all-ACC coaching staff. So when you go and look at uh, those teams, they break them down into two teams and the best assistants, and they give them – uh, the ratings, analytical, all various different categories. But the Miami Hurricanes, surprise, surprise, led the way with five coaches uh, on the staff. And Coach Cristobal was not one of them. The first team head coach uh, was was Dabo Sweeney. And so then uh, the second team head coach was Mike Norvell. But if you go look at the coach they've got, they've got Derek Nicholson, who I was surprised. It's funny to me sometimes when I look at some of my peers and I see them uh, pop up as coaches. I did not know Derek Nicholson, that was once a really good linebacker for Florida State, uh, is a coach at Miami. Uh, Then they had Alex Mirabal, Tim Harris, uh, Kevin Beard, and Jamil Aday on there. And then Clemson had four entries on the uh, All-ACC coaching staff, North Carolina and NC State each had three, and so I would say the headliner for sure, though, out of all of the assistants is Garrett Riley, who I think has the most pressure uh, of any assistant coach coming into the conference and probably college football this year. Well, if you look at another great coordinator that we don't talk about as much, Warren Ruggiero of Wake Forest, the offensive coordinator there, where you've seen what he's done developing multiple QBs now. I mean, Jamie Newman... I believe Ruggiero was there when Jamie Newman was there, if I'm not mistaken. And so if that's the case, Newman didn't do anything with Georgia when he made that transfer, and we thought he was going to be an NFL prospect, but he only looked like a potential NFL prospect when he was playing with Wake Forest. And now Sam Hartman, who was able to rack up a ton of yards and has had a prolific career at Winston-Salem before eventually going to South Bend, I think you can look at him and what he was able to accomplish. You see this one write-up about him saying last year, the Deeks, they ranked third in the league with 443 yards per game. They tied for the league with 36 points per game. Sam Hartman, the all-time leader in passing touchdown, now at Notre Dame. It'll be interesting to see if Griffiths can also be a QB that Ruggiero does a great job with. But yeah, Garrett Riley, he's going to be ranked a lot, uh, you know, as far as either coaching staffs or even coordinators. But Wake Forest, they've got a pretty good play caller down there in Winston-Salem. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And I think that when you talk about uh, Mitch Griffiths stepping into that Wake Forest offense, I think he's going to be the next guy that's going to be putting up gaudy numbers. Uh, Wake Forest finished the 2022 season averaging 36 points a game. They have posted six consecutive seasons of averaging 30 or more points a game. This is the longest active streak and the fourth longest in ACC history. So this is an offense that definitely puts up a lot of numbers. And I think that I would probably uh, go with them so far as far as the best coordinator quarterback combo because I like Mitch Griffiths, what I saw from him in the spring. They said, uh, Clawson said he had one of the best completion percentages uh, ever in a spring. And just when you look at what quarterbacks have been able to do, um, 
he looks to be next in line as far as just having that live arm. He's got mobility. Now, the only thing with him, the big question, people love to talk about Bryce Young and his size, but Mitch Griffiths, uh, not the biggest guy either at around 5'10 and around 200 pounds. So he's not a, a big guy, but this is the guy that I expect to put up uh, big numbers this season. Um, we do have some breaking news coming in, by oh. the way. Um, uh, not not huge breaking news, but did want to know that, uh, did want to let everyone know that it does look like tomorrow Mitch Kupchak and Miles Bridges are going to be holding a press conference over at Spectrum Center. And so this has been the press conference that a lot of people have been waiting for. And it's going to be very interesting to hear some of the questions thrown at Miles Bridges and Mitch Kupchak, the conversation, some of those answers. So we'll see what happens. Any news, just any thoughts immediately upon hearing the news that, again, you're going to hear from them. It does seem like 11 is when this thing is scheduled over there at the Spectrum Center. Yeah, I mean, you talk about stepping into uh, the hot seat for sure. This is going to be one of the more historic press conferences, I feel like, uh, in the history of this town when you just talk about the hard-hitting questions that are going to come at Miles and Mitch Kupchak. So I'm, I'm sure they're going to be ready for this because it's going to be um, just a, a big-time press conference. Yeah, I, I – I... Miles Bridges hasn't been very vocal. We did see the statement. It was released a long time after the trial process concluded with him pleading no contest. It happened a long time after we saw the photos on social media of Michelle Johnson and some of the injuries that she sustained in an alleged domestic violence incident. So the fact that Miles Bridges will be speaking for the first time publicly since all of that occurred, since he missed an entire season, since he's been handed the suspension for 30 games total with him having already served 20 of those games, and he'll be missing the next 10 games going into next year. I'm very interested to see how some of these answers are going to roll in because, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see with this press conference coming in tomorrow. Also, Mitch Kupchak. Mitch Kupchak. There have been some moments where he didn't do a very good job at the press conference. Do we have that soundbite, Fitty, when people were asking Mitch Kupchak about why Brandon Miller was the right guy being that number two overall pick? Well, everything that we, you know, every answer they got, we got to every, every question. He's got to do better than that. <laughs> That's a, he's got to do a lot better than that. Is there anything that Bridges can say tomorrow that I guess could could make you as a fan or the fan base feel better by him being back with the team for at least one more year? Well, look, you could view this in a way, and you'd be justified to say, I don't want Miles Bridges anywhere near this roster. And you can go the 100% absolute route of saying, there is no space for him to be on this team, and I am not going to be one that is pulling for him. You could do that. If you wanted to try to figure out a way where, look, Michelle Johnson has talked about second chances being warranted. Michelle Johnson being the victim in this alleged incident, it's it's nuanced and it's tough to talk about, but Michelle, I think you do have to take into account what her opinion is. So if Michelle Johnson is saying that Miles does deserve to get back out there on the court, okay, does Miles Bridges show that he is contrite? Does he take responsibility for what took place this offseason or this you know, a year ago that led to his suspension this offseason? If you can show that you're contrite, okay, that's going to go a long way. I don't know if that means that we're all going to welcome you back with open arms. There's already a large contingency of the fan base that wants you back because you're really good at basketball already, and that's all they care about. Is there anything that he can say 
to make me forget about what happened? Not forget. I don't know about welcome him right now, but all, all that you can ask for right now is that Miles Bridges actually show some cor- sort of growth from this because it was pretty heinous to see what happened last offseason to the point where he was suspended and did not play a single basketball game for those reasons. Yeah, I mean, just to be all the way 100, I mean, there's not much he can say in my opinion because I think he's going to be getting up there putting on an act. And why do I say that? Because his actions after this has all happened has shown me uh, as much. The fact that he was out playing basketball at a at a uh, sports club in L.A. the day after this happened, that is as if nothing happened. Then getting on social media uh, months ago, then, uh, you know, acting like, uh, again, just showing himself playing basketball and putting up highlight videos and things of that nature. And then coming to the Charlotte Hornets and thinking that he was going to get $25 million uh, after missing the season for doing what he did felony domestic assault so all of his actions see people can say a lot of stuff to you but i like to pay attention to people's actions that really tells the story all of his actions so far doesn't show me a lot of contrition doesn't really show me uh that 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 he's a guy that understands what he's done and is truly wanting to, um, you know, make amends for those things. This is a guy that is going to get up there tomorrow and he's going to say all the right things that he knows people want to hear. But at the end of the day, the actions that I've seen thus far don't match up with it in my book. So I'm not going to read much into any of what is said tomorrow. Excuse me. My bad with the mics off. What I really hope doesn't happen is that he goes up there and says a lot of no comment stuff because of the way that the trial process was concluded. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just really hope that we don't get a lot of no comments. Oh, you said you hope we don't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Right, That's yeah, what you. I'm hoping. Yeah. Because now it, it is concluded. Like we have moved past this. There was a ruling. You pleaded no contest. So we're kind of done. I don't know what you can talk about and what you can't, but the, the fact is that, you have been there's been a lot of dodging of questions right now because you have not been in the public space and so we'll see what happens tomorrow um 704-570-9610 feel free to share your thoughts and comments let's go to uh the last fitty flash i skipped over it the second time and we had plenty of time i just completely forgot so fitty i apologize take us away with the last fitty flash of the day fitty Well, not a whole lot going on in the world of sports. And the thing I was going to use for my flash, Walker, we we talked about just right there. So let's update the NASCAR race. They are in stage three of three at New Hampshire with the three car Austin Dillon in front. He's leading Martin Truex Jr. And Ryan Blaney is in third. Kyle Larson, fourth. Daniel Suarez, fifth. Joey Logano, sixth. Christopher Bell, seventh. Denny Hamlin, eighth, Brad Keselowski, ninth, and Bubba Wallace rounds out the top ten. All right, there you go. There's a NASCAR update for you. Um, we will give you one more segment at the other on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Some old recruiting stories during the break from Wes Bryant. Charlotte's finest out of Vance High School at the time. He said that he went on a recruiting trip to South Carolina when Lou Holtz was there. Fitty said, you got recruited by Lou Holtz? 
And Wes said, bleep, fitty, I'm now was nasty. That's what he said. <laughs> uh, it wasn't necessarily because I was surprised at the level of skill that you had to have in order to be recruited. I mean, you went to Florida. Case closed on that. I mean, we know that you got recruited by awesome coaches. I think what Fiddy meant in that moment was, please tell us a Lou Holtz story or your interaction because that guy is as unintentionally funny a dude I know, at least in the coaching ranks, and there are a lot of unintentionally funny coaches in all of college football. What was your experience like with Lou Holtz wanting Wes Bryan to come uh, and play football at South Yeah, Carolina? I never had a lot of conversations with Lou Holtz. I never had one, actually. I, I, it was all assistance up until that point. I didn't get to... Uh, you didn't talk to him at all? Chat with him like that. No, I did not. All right, so no Lou Holtz stories then. All right, but how, how was how was South Carolina? How was that recruiting trip that you took? Oh man, it was it was crazy. I, I told people that's that was the wildest game that I went to when they beat Georgia. Uh, it was in two thousand and one when they came off the zero and eleven season, and uh, they had beaten they had won their first game. They beat like a a patsy, and then. Georgia comes rolling in there with Voss Bailey and and Quincy Carter and Richard Seymour, and they were just stacked. Mm. And Quincy Carter threw, I think it had to have been six or seven interceptions, and I'm not being hyperbolic. (laughs) He legit came in and had just a horrible game. And South Carolina won, and it was just wild. They tore the goalposts down. They rushed the field. Uh, my recruiting uh, guides, the, the the females that we had, they were scared. They were worried they were going to get run over on the field by the fans just going ape. And then I said when I came down the stairs, there was a man that had to have been his blood alcohol level. had to be about a 37 and he grabbed me by my jacket and rocked me back and forth and told me I better get my ass to South Carolina, in which I just started laughing at just how brazen he was and the fact that I could probably smell the liquor on his breath from two sections away. Um, yeah, that sounds like a pretty crazy it game. Was a lot of fun. Did South Carolina, after that moment, have any running in the uh, West Bryant sweepstakes? Uh, not at that point. I did enjoy my trip there. And South Carolina was one of the schools I was like, even though I'm not extremely high on Columbia, but I was like, it is one of the places I could go that's not just like the school is the town. You know what I'm saying? What is, yeah. Yeah. So I, I did like that. So I, I thought about it. All right. So what were some of the outside places that did have a shot? Because you ended up going to Florida. But what were some of the other schools that maybe is there one or two that you really thought about going to? Um, Yeah. NC State. When I transferred, I really wanted to go to NC State. But NC State, but they wanted me to play center. So that was why I didn't want to go there. Um, it was complimentary. I mean, they talked about how athletic I was, how smart I was. So they're like, oh, we want you to be a center. But I just didn't like playing inside of uh, people. It just knee injuries, all that type of stuff. But um, what else? Tennessee, I really wanted to go to Tennessee. That's when they were a powerhouse. So Tennessee was there. But then they sent me a note and said that they were kind of waiting on some other guys. And then uh-huh. they gone. So I was like, okay, bleep off. On <laughs> I was like, if you don't want me now, you don't want me. Um, and then I feel like it was one more. Um, but those, those were the schools. So Tennessee and NC state seem to have like a decent track to go get you. And then wake forest comes out of nowhere or it was wake forest all. Well, wake the, the decision with wake didn't even come until I transferred because coming out of high school, you know, I remember going up for a visit one time. I told my mom, we just here to eat. <laughs> I mean, you're just here to eat is what you said. Yeah, yeah and so, so we're just here to eat. Yeah. You know? and, and I wanted to go to Kentucky, too, but Kentucky wanted me to play defense. 
Uh, okay, really? What they want you to play? Well, I went up to camp because I I played a little bit of defense before I switched to offensive line. I went up to camp and I was you know eating pretty good playing defensive end too. I was yeah on the pass rush drill. I was doing pretty good, so they okay. wanted me to be a defensive end. Okay, so yeah. Kentucky was also a school. That, yes. uh, all right. Um, I was just interested in in uh, NC State or one of the other schools that might have you know gone for your services and then eventually didn't land the coveted Wes Bryant <laughs> transferring from Florida coming back home just a little bit. Yeah. 704-570-9610-704 uh, number said I was a student at South Carolina that game. I was the one that helped tear the goalpost down. Trevor from Charlotte wrote that in. I so they were at that, that man. They too. were wild, man. That was a game. Yeah, uh, that would have been a lot of fun to go see. 704-570-9610. Feel free to uh, get some photo finished text messages in there. Is that the What's the wildest game you've ever been to, recruiting trip or not? Because that sounds like even just one for a lot of games that you might have attended. Is that up there as well? Man, I was at the Wake Forest game when they came back against Maryland. They were down 31 to three or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And that's when Alfonso Smith got that big interception and ran it back. And then Wake came all the way back and won the game. That was pretty wild. Um, hmm. Fitty, do you have one yeah. that you attended that was a really wild game? Yeah, Carolina-Pittsburgh in 2016. We came back from two touchdowns down, uh, two touchdowns down in like four minutes. And Mitch Trubisky had to complete a fourth and 10 pass that Ryan Switzer like ran like literally as close to the oh, stick yeah. as you could and stopped his route. <laughs> and it's one of those where, like, where you're sitting like when he falls, I was like, I was like, SOB short because like he didn't run it, you know, and then Buck Howard caught a game winning touchdown. It was on my birthday and uh, we, we had a dude in our section. That I, I think drank every alcoholic beverage in town for the previous three days because I mean there's he just, always that fan around you somewhere. He just reeked of it, mm-hmm. like like you could smell it in his sweat, and he got in my face and just kept selling or kept yelling, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> I don't know what we were deleting, yeah, but he just kept saying that over. And I over think he took that from over. the uh, from the wrestler Jeff Hardy, and I was also gonna say too. Uh, the Tennessee-Florida game from that year, they had the controversial ending where Florida cut, caught the touchdown at the end of regulation. They thought it was a, a pass breakup, but they ended up counting it, and my mom went to sleep in Neyland Stadium, of all places, because she was no so way. tired. Yeah, my mom, I'm, I'm sitting beside her, and I look over, and I said, Mom, it's 100,000 people in here. How are you sleeping? <laughs> because we had to get up and leave at, like, 5 o'clock to get to the game. Yeah. And she's like, I'm tired, boy. And I was like, yeah, leave. That's how I felt, despite all the people <laughs> at the concert. Before it started at 10 o'clock, I was already tired and ready to go home, and then Erica Badu started singing. All right, that'll do it for Weston Walker today. Keep it right here for Kyle Bailey. About to hop on the mic, of course, alongside the great smoke. Ludwig, it's all coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.